0: Hey ladies, welcome to WTF, Women Talking Frankly, a running conversation with your
1: hosts, Kyle and Candace. And you, about issues facing women, such as health, hormones, our looks, our libido, life, and anything in between. We promise to dig deep and get into it each episode. Welcome. We're so glad you joined us today.
0: Hi Candace, how are you?
1: I think I'm fine today. How are you? I'm I'm over here in England, so it's kind of um, a fall, a mixture of fall weather and a bit of rain, a lot like Oregon, where we live normally. We're Beautiful
0: having a tri-coastal co- tri- or tri-city um, podcast episode today. Our one, our one host, Candice, is in Oxford, England, where she has a second home. I'm in Portland, Oregon, where I have my only home now. And we have Dr. Monica Williams, who's in Atlanta, Georgia, I believe, correct? Correct, correct. Yeah, so we're so happy to have everybody here together on this lovely fall day in Oregon. It's 40 degrees.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's colder than here. Yeah, the the switch turned on. It was 88 degrees two weeks ago, and the switch turned on last Friday and said, oh, fall has arrived. And what's the temperature in Georgia? There, Mont Dr. Yeah, I was Mont. just
2: trying to see. I think we have to be in like the 70s, like the mid-70s yeah. to 80s. Perfect. Brisk bright sun. The trees are just starting to turn yellow and orange and red, my favorite colors. So we're good yeah. over here. Well, good.
1: I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in and try to get back to our formal introduction, which is great to see Kyle, however far away she may be. And great to meet you, Dr. Monica. We have reached a milestone moment today because not only is this our 40th episode, did you realize that Kyle? Our 40th episode. Oh, look at us. Aren't we amazing? We are. mean, that's through COVID and all that we've had to struggle with to keep this going. And we're about to tackle one of the most, uh, what I consider one of the most challenging conundrums in healthcare for women in menopause, in particular how menopause affects women of color. Mm -hmm. Um, There was a very, uh, good article that the New York Times published recently about this uh, matter. And Dr. Monica was just telling us how she's been on quite a few interviews and article articles talking about this subject. So finally, we're talking about it. Um, we, we, know course, we, do. we know, of course, that the transition to menopause is confounding for many of the 1 million American women who annually begin to contend with these dozens of symptoms, including the hot flashes, the vaginal dryness, the hair loss, irregular heavy periods, and weight gain. How about sleep issues and anxiety? low um, libido. low libido. So we could go on. Um, and in all too many cases, women are receiving not enough guidance, inadequate medical care, and few options for relief but for women of color the transition is even more complicated this was brought up in this article and it talked about research that has found that the duration the frequency the severity and even the types of symptoms that that can look can look different across races a land, there was the landmark um study of women's health across the nation which we think of as swan that looked at the racial discrepancies this was a study that began in 1994 it followed a group of more than 3000 women that's a pretty good sample size in perimenopause and menopause for decades and researchers found a few very significant differences foremost among them black and hispanic women reach menopause earlier than white chinese and japanese women they also experienced certain menopausal symptoms for 10 or more years almost twice as long as do white, Chinese, and Japanese women. According to the Office of Minority Health, Black women are at greater risk for cardiovascular disease, strokes, cancer, asthma, diabetes, HIV, AIDS. We're not talking about those as much today as we are how these disparities extend further. Although, Dr. Monica, just say whatever you want, comment we'll be asking you. But these disparities extend further into the realm of maternal health. As we know that women of color are far more likely to suffer from fibroids, and I'd like to learn more about that, and are three to four times as likely to be affected by pregnancy related deaths. So to add insult to injury, when women of color seek out treatment for these symptoms, they often encounter physicians who aren't aware of those differences, those disparities, and aren't fully equipped to help them navigate the transition. So that can feel like a dismissal of their concerns. That's a common experience for all menopausal women, I have to say. Mm-hmm. But I think it's one that's even more familiar reading about this. It sounds like an experience that's even more familiar among women of color when they see the doctor. So our guest today, Dr. Monica Williams, really, is it really? Or Riley? Riley,
2: Riley yes.
1: Monica Williams, Riley is definitely, you're definitely not one of those doctors. <laughs> just As the founder and medical director of Deep Rooted Health, she is leading the charge towards more inclusive health care for women of color with hormonal issues. Dr. Williams is a board certified family physician specializing in functional medicine, sexual health and wellness. And you've dedicated the last 25 years of your practice to teaching your clients how to Meet Their Goals of Living Healthier Lives Through st- Strategic Lifestyle Planning. I like that word, strategic. Absolutely. That's important. Dr. It's- Monica enjoys helping people with sensitive health issues such as sexual dysfunction, menopause, andropause, hormone imbalance, and intimate wellness. Life is to be enjoyed, and she wants you to help, help you find the joy in your life. So welcome to Women Talking Frankly, Dr. Yes. Williams. Dr. Monica, Dr. Monica, so nice to meet Dr. you. Monica, we've yeah, got we, lots of questions for you. But, but first off, we'd love to hear your story and how your work mission is changing that dynamic to help your patients find that joy in life. You started telling us you know, your story a little earlier before we started recording. So please tell us again. <laughs>
2: well first let me say thank you for having me um i love um the title of your your podcast but also congratulations on 40 episodes that's 40 of anything uh, on this side of, of the yeah. sun it's a beautiful thing so um congratulations on that success for um Doing what you love and what you're passionate about doing, which is um, really kind of what my story has been as well. So, um, they call me affectionately Dr. Monica um, because I have way too many last names. And so, it makes it so much easier. Um, it's part of my story, but but Dr. Monica suits just fine for me. So um, I was letting you guys know a little bit about who I am and where I come from. Um, I, I tell people all the time my age because um, I want people to start really being excited and proud about who they are and where they are. So I'm a 53-year-old board-certified family medicine physician, and um, I specialize in functional medicine because that's where really my passion for taking care of people really um, blossomed. Uh, as a family medicine physician, I have always enjoyed taking care of the whole entire family. Um, I really started out wanting to be a pediatrician um, because I really loved kids, and I felt like you know that's really how we change change the future of of, of the world. And then um, I, I I learned um, through practice that family medicine was was really special for me because family medicine, if you teach a mother or father a caretaker who takes care of the kids how to better take care of themselves then you really change not only that child's life but the whole entire family's life because people will make changes for their kids that they may not even make for themselves they'll cook better for their kids they'll stop smoking for their kids they'll do yeah. a lot of things for their kids that's but true. they may not do it just for themselves so that's how I got into medicine and family medicine in particular functional medicine is really the study of how we really change how the, fu- the body um, functions or alter it back to what its normal state is. And we do that by finding out more about the patient and finding out more about the patient means taking better history, getting um, a longer history, spending time with the patient, finding out exactly who they are, what makes them tick, what has happened to them in the past. That leads to where they are today, not only just in the past five years, 10 years, but maybe even what happened to their mom, what happened to them in utero. And that's what makes me so passionate about how and what I do now. And as I have gotten older in um this thing called medicine, um, I have gone through, you know, I won't say all the stages, but I've gone through quite a few of those stages myself. Um, and so now here I am um in a post-menopausal stage, and really dealing with my cohorts my my um my people um in that women and men over 40 we're all kind of leaning into this aging
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, and i say leaning into because i tell people all the time menopause is not a disease <laughs> i have said <laughs> menopause is not a disease we are not sick if you are postmenopausal premenopausal perimenopausal you're just going through a a stage of life that's the same way when we first you know we got our period for the first time we were all excited oh my gosh you know even tears right for some people so excited about this process and then we get there and we mourn like the whole process like oh my god my period is on Mm -hmm. and then we get to menopause and once again we're mourning again and so like my goal for pe- for women uh, when we we're just talking about women but all people is that wherever you are like let's be there let's celebrate that find out how we do that better and um and how we enjoy the process and how we deal with the challenges of that of that because there are challenges um so I love- you know that's Great. kind of how I got to where I am, and how our practice got to where it is. I build customized wellness plans for people um, based on what their deficiencies are, whether it's hormonal deficiencies, nutritional deficiencies, sexual deficiencies, and I give them really functional um, uh, plans to help them get out of that space, trying to get them away from them leaning on medications as much as possible, um, and then using technology um, or or nature to uh, to really get you feeling like, like you used to feel or better than you ever felt before.
0: You have a couple mm-hmm. of comments as you're speaking. I was thinking back to my own career as a young nurse. And it's funny, physicians and nurses are trained very differently in how they approach things. And when I was a young nurse, I learned to do exactly what you talked about with functional medicine, get to know your patient, ask the probing questions, ask that deep history. And when I was in nurse practitioner school, what I learned was, that you can do all these tests and all these, um, you know, diagnostic like blood work and ultrasounds and MRIs, but 80% of your diagnosis comes through taking a good history. Period. So that the the functional medicine movement sort of built on that whole, that whole framework and it, it created, t- it's a time thing for people. People don't want to spend the time with their patients because money is in the surgeries, money is in the procedures. So yeah. there's number one, and then number 2, I like what you said about um not pathologizing everything. Not pathologizing. You could be you could pathologize puberty, you could pathologize menopause, but they are truly stages that we go through in life and if you approach them with education and uh, and just knowing uh, and some support from your peers and your and your healthcare providers, it becomes an experience rather than a pathology.
2: I love that. I love that because it really is. It's an experience, and we have good experiences and bad experiences. What 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 really impacts an experience? What impacts an experience? A lot of times is the support around that experience, or the education mm-hmm. around that experience, or the culture around that experience. So Absolutely. you're so you're so right. And and um, one of the biggest things I used to struggle with as a young a baby doc is oh, you take too long with your patients. You take too long with right. your patients. I didn't know any way else to do. What I did besides getting to know people, because otherwise I'm just throwing what the book says at you, but each person we're individuals. And so I always, um, well, that was always a challenge as a young doc. So I got better at it as, uh, um, as I got more confidence and I got more, um, but I never lost the fact of the matter that. Getting to know my patients was the most important thing. And so it's what drove me out of what I call commercial medicine. Mm -hmm. Um, I was medical director and chief medical officer of um, a few facilities on my, you know, as my career, as I aged in my career, still not making that change, that impact. People still wanted me to not talk to people, you know, (laughs) not... Not, you know, not share with them, you know, my experience, not listen to them. It was just like, leave that to the counselors, leave that to the nutritionist, leave that to the health coach. We just need you to. And that was a trigger for me because no way that you would want a physician that had 27 years of practice. All of that experience, and then you don't want them to share or talk to, or talk to, or exchange with that person. You just want them to write a prescription, and that's not the truth of how we really how we heal this country and the world. But he, the truth and the healing is in the conversation and getting to know our clients, know where they are, why they are, where they are, and absolutely. they find the solutions too. I to have to
1: say help. that I know that I bet your patients absolutely love you. I was saying the same Kyle, thing, Kyle, have, I, yeah. and I can tell you that Kyle. had... <laughs> Has had a practice in Portland, Oregon, that was so you couldn't walk down. You can't walk down the street with her without <laughs> her. Ten, p- several people, Kyle hugging her, tears. I mean, honestly, I'm Doctor Kyle them. to my patients yeah. as a nurse practitioner. So there you go. You know, yeah. I as a health educator yeah. hear all the time about. Still, for twenty five years, I've been doing how doctors don't listen. So I, you know, applaud you both. And, I, and I, I'm sure, Dr. Monica, you had the
0: same experience I had, and I've, I've shared this with Candice many times, but I'd have patients come see me referred in by somebody who heard I was good, blah, 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 and they would and I would listen to them, we'd spend time, they'd say, I've never had a healthcare provider spend time with me like you do or listen, and I would it, makes, it made my heart break more than anything, it made me happy that I did what I did, but more than anything, my heart broke because how sad. That most people are not do not feel listened to by their healthcare provider. That, like you said, the beginning of healing comes with listening.
2: I mean, it's no different than any relationship that we have. What relationship do you have mm-hmm. that you actually treasure and and you trust the other person on the other side of that relationship who doesn't listen to you? But yet you're asking someone who you're putting in your life in their hands yeah. to not, not have. To, you got fifteen minutes. You got 15 minutes, get it in, get it out. And if you don't, that's just, oh, well, but I'm putting my entire life in your hands. And so the state of medicine is really, we're in a state of emergency um, as far as conventional medicine is concerned. Um, I hate the words of conventional and alternative medicine, because the truth of the matter is what's alternative is actually the original. Exactly. Um, (laughs) It's the original. And so- (laughs) Right on. Exactly. You got that. It's, 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 those terms, as you mentioned before, are really about where the money lies yeah. um, and, and the things that they can't control. And so um, I was happy to be able to walk away from that um, and really depend on my ability to connect with patients. Um, I went to a cat. My practice is a cash based practice. So I really took everybody else out of the out of the picture Perfect. as being able to say what I could or could not say or what I could or could not do because I'm board certified in family medicine. I give my board certification, but my board certification is there to make sure that I keep my doors open. But I will honestly say that I depend more on my skill set to really get information from people and turn around and be able to explain that information to them so that they not only are able to help themselves but also help generations down because once I teach it to you then you can teach it to the rest of your family by your actions.
0: And how sad you know to me and I'm sure Candice feels the same way that in our country our healthcare system is so broken that I, I also do consults for cash basis now too. I was able to do billing through my insurance when I was a provider but I had the pressure of seeing more patients as you did. How sad that you had to move to a cash model people can't use their insurance. Of course they can. They can get a, you know, a a, a receipt from you and bill their insurance and and do an out of network thing. But how sad that you had to move away from the healthcare system to provide better healthcare. (laughs) Irony. That makes no sense. 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 Irony of that is crazy. The irony
2: of that is crazy. Um, And it's so true. But I will say that I, through my experiences, um, there are definitely people who are doing the same. I have clients who still have insurance, but are willing to have me on the side, if you will, or even me as primary and pay that cash amount because they understand it's time for the truth, for me to get the truth. I got a job that has insurance. They take money out just in case I have to go to the hospital and I support that a hundred percent. But, you know, listen, I need somebody to honestly tell me what's going on with me. And, um, and that's what we get a chance to do over here.
0: Yeah, and I always tell people like, yeah, I'm sure you do too, pay the money now, you pay a lot less later. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> so it may cost a little bit now. So can you share with us some of your experiences? Because our main conversation today, you know, obviously all women, like Candace said earlier, struggle with being heard by their providers. And, and we know we've, that's what we've talked about. Like we said, this is our fortieth episode. I think we've touched on that every episode. How difficult it is for all women to seek and get the care they need, but particularly women of color. You know, I have had my share of patients that are women of color over the years, and I certainly have noticed the issues with the fibroids and the and the and the higher incidences with pregnancy complications. Can you identify what you think as some of the major um, factors that are impacting these women and why they're struggling more with the symptoms and how we can affect some change.
2: Um, that is a great, that's really like the greatest question ever asked <laughs> because truthfully, women in general, you know, menopause changes everyone's lives. Mm-hmm. And so when the, when the question first came to me, I'll be honest with you, because we're going to talk really frankly today, I guess. Um, so women I'm- talk it frankly, <laughs> Yeah, that's we're going to talk really frankly. So I was first kind of taken aback, taken you know almost offended by the question. Like, what do you mean, women of color? You know, have, deal with menopause differently. We're human beings. You know, I'm tired of us being looked at as, as separate. You know, entities. So I was really kind of like, what is that about? And I was like, well, wait a minute, what is that about? Like, let me let me let me deep deeper in my own self to understand is that a real thing. And then it's like, yeah, that's what you talk about all the time, but I had never put it in the context of mm-hmm. that because I don't look at people as studies. I look at people as humans. So then I started doing research even in the background of that and started really seeing that, you know, this like things like the Swan study were done. And, and we're going to dig a little bit into that because there's some un- some things about the Swan study that have now come out as well that people aren't talking about quite as yet to oh, the good the big the big reason why this is even a conversation so yes we all have hearts lungs hormones you know organs ovaries you know uteruses um and all of them work basically the same you know so it's not an issue of because of my melanin i work differently than you Mm -hmm. that's the biggest number that really triggered me because i was like i know my uterus works the same as yours i know my ovaries work the same as yours so what is this really coming from? And the truth of the matter is, is that what when Black women and women of color experience different is our system. Our system, or what we call systemic racism, mm-hmm. is having as much an impact on how we go through this stage of life as it does in any stage that people of color go through. How our kids go through school is different. How we um, raise our sons Is different.
0: Oh, yeah. We hear about
2: that. These things, right, are really having an impact on menopause. So, you say, what are the specifics of that? So, so with systemic racism, um, this impacts our women as they are dealing with work Mm -hmm. and the pressures of of employment. It deals with us economically and the pressures of how we are dealt with in the workforce and how we economically um, are looked at differently, paid differently. It deals with us in our medical situations. When we go into hospitals, the studies have shown that we are not looked at as, um, that we're not as sensitive, that we manage pain differently. And so when we talk about outcomes, fetal outcomes, that doesn't mean that our babies are not strong. It really has to do with when we go in, they're less likely to give anesthesia um, as quickly. They're less likely to let us, they're more likely to let us sit in the waiting room longer. These are things that cause outcomes to be differently. Um, I have personal experience with this. I have friendship experiences with this. Um, And it goes on even now in 2023, we are still being looked at as not quite human in some cases through some eyes. And when we talk about what what is systemic racism, that's the racism that is not like, oh, I got black friends, I got women of color who are my friends. It's the kind of racism that is so in depth that you don't even know that you're doing it. So that you're like, well, I made a decision to, to treat this person this way because of this reason. But your reason is not legitimized. You don't realize that your reason has underlying racial you know, yeah. um, parts of it. And so that's one of the major causes, believe it or not, of why there is this big divide. And people don't want to use that word. Whenever we use that word racism, people get really antsy. It's like, I'm not, I have a racist bone in my body. So it's not necessarily that (laughs) person standing up with a sign that says, I hate black people. It's what the system has provided as the advantage that some people have over other people who they're just not willing to give up that advantage. And so if if you're not willing to give up that advantage, that means somebody else is going to be less advantaged. And that is when you start to see the impact. So stress. So if you made less money, but you had the same responsibilities of sending your kids to college, putting food on the table, dealing with your kids, teachers at school, but you're making less money or you're, or you're at a job where you're looked at as a less of a person and you're not given the same respect. You're not getting the raises and things. Guess what? You're under a lot of pressure and you are Their under a flexible schedule. Yeah. Your flexible yeah. schedule. Yeah. I, can't, yeah. I can't tell you about how many times I've been in workforce areas where my counterparts are like, oh, I do a part-time schedule. They let me do this. They let me do this so I could be. And those same things are not allotted to yeah. people of color. You I rarely know. don't see them as often.
0: And, and so I think, can I want to say one. Th- I just want to say one thing. As you're speaking, I heard this thing recently on the radio about how... You know, many cities now are becoming so unaffordable for people to live in that yes. people who like this in L.A., they were talking about the maids who work in the hotels. They can't afford to live in it. They have to drive two hours each way to get to work. You add, And those people are probably mostly women of color who are doing those jobs. And so you That's imagine having cool. four hours of commuting to your day. At, so I, I totally hear what you're saying. It's it's an, it's. An, I think I think the women's movement highlighted the inequity between men and women and then you add the people of color to the women of color and you have Excellent. double double whammy
1: double whammy I, Monica, I wanted to say actually we asked that question because we were hoping for just such an answer that you've been providing because yeah. that's I mean the it's inherent abundance the greater abundance of stress that every day life for a woman of color it has it we know that it's just it's always there you yeah. the just the uncertainty the that michelle obama to- talked about it in her book uh, mm-hmm. her- and it was amazing. I mean, she talked
0: about what it was like to be in the White House as a woman oh. of color in the White House, how they were treated. It was just awful.
2: It was terrible. And, and the thing about it is, you you look at women, you know, even such as myself, you're a physician. You don't deal with anything because you think that the economics takes you outside of that realm. I wake up every morning. Um, some mornings I just wake up and I call my son, who's a junior in college at Morehouse, just to hear his voice oh. because I need to make sure he's still alive. Like, oh. I don't know. It every woman wakes up that way we all love our children we all of course are concerned about our children but the, the stresses that are different because of what the the community as a whole how they um how they don't honor us as 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 being viable important parts of the community we're disposable and that's at every level so now let's take it from there because we understand that there is racism and systemic racism specifically. Now, how does that affect me as a woman of, and going through menopause? Well, how does stress affect any woman?
1: Totally. Yeah.
2: Menopause. Yeah. So when I have all those extra things going on. Then guess what? I got more hot flashes. Mm-hmm. I got more night sweats. Mm-hmm. I have more brain fog. I have more, all of these things are. And so therefore it comes earlier because those stresses are there. Um, through sure. life earlier, so therefore that puts me in menopause so probably on average about two years earlier. Mm-hmm. And here's the key: this is a thing that, in my research, has become a, another reason why I'm so passionate about this. Is that studies have shown the American Journal of um of Heart, um, which, uh, American Journal of Heart Association, Journal of American Heart Association, has a study that talks about. How people who you who have more systemic um, uh, symptoms of menopause um, often cause uh, VMS or vasal motor symptoms. Yep. Now, this is not talking about color. This is just their study. If you have ba- more vasal motor symptoms, then you are at more risk of heart disease. Yes, I if know. You're at more risk of heart disease, then you are at higher risk of having a heart attack or a stroke.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So, if I then therefore say that we know women of color. Go through menopause, have symptoms of menopause earlier and for longer. They, sure. they go to it early and last longer. Then guess what? It is, does not take a genius to extrapolate why heart disease is more predominant in African American women. And we are dying more of heart disease because of our menopausal states that are exaggerated and longer. Then put on the fact that, as in the article that you all were reading, we go in front of our healthcare providers, which we've just already discussed is a broken system, and they ignore us. Mm-hmm. As women, they ignore us. So as yeah. African-American women. They dismiss you, too. They dismiss you. So we're dismissed as women because we're not saying that women don't go through this. Mm-hmm. But then at, when you put color in, on top of that, then they really look at you as like, what are you complaining about? Mm-hmm. Oh, you got this. Or it's not that bad. So You'll it really that. is where the disparity comes in. It really is the meat and potatoes of those things. You know, we can talk about, like I said, you know, women who go into labor, who are left in um the waiting room uh, and, you know, when they should really be in the back in labor and delivery because they're color. My own personal um experience when I was um pregnant and had my first child, um had a C-section. I woke up out of my C-section with no anesthesia. They forgot to give me my pain medic. Yeah. I was a physician, a baby physician, but imagine that. And some could just chalk it up to, oh, it was an accident. Well, let me tell you, those types of accidents are not acceptable. No. Not acceptable. Not I had... Not at all. I just had a friend a close, one of my closest college friends whose daughter um, of 24, 25 years old died in his arms. It's only a month ago oh in his home. She had no medical issues, no medical problems that um, she was in a drink or a smoke or anything. She had her first seizure of her entire life and died in his arms at his home because the ambulance, first of all, would not did not come for 45 minutes. Oh my God. And then would not leave to take her to the hospital, which was eight minutes from their home. <gasps> she ended up dying. They got to the hospital. All they could say there is, why did you guys get her here sooner? Oh
0: my and God. Wait, what city
2: is this in? This was, this is in Atlanta, Georgia, here in Atlanta. Oh my this God. This is here in Atlanta, Georgia, Henry County. Um, it uh, It is appalling what is still going on. And I can give you multiple examples of this because I live it every day as a physician who not only has works in my private practice, but also moonlights in, um, in the, in um, the, the urgent cares in the community and to see how we manage people of color when we call emergency in to help assist us. Um, when we just manage them in general, it's, we, we're, we're dropping the ball. We're dropping the ball and we've got to do better. Um, and we've got to, and things I think that are going to help do better are having the conversation, bringing it to the forefront and really looking it dead in the eye and calling it what it is.
1: Have you-, you know I noticed um I wanted to ask about testing. um you know, just curious uh, when you talk about stress levels, you think of disruption of ovulation and at any age, um especially in women premenopause pre and into perimenopause and what that you know I was thinking about why why are there a, a, why is there a greater frequency of of fibroids among African-American women and I'm thinking about the disruption of ovulation and the you know the excesses of estrogen are not producing progesterone because you're not ovulating. Do you see that in your in your um, in your patients, and do you test their levels, their hormone levels? And, and if so, That's what true. do? Okay, you- oh, hey, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I'm just curious what you when you if you test hormone levels, what you see. I can imagine the stress hormones, the the progesterone lows. I, I'm just really curious.
2: So I do test hormone levels. Um, um, we test, test them on different age groups. We definitely test them more in the menopausal um, you know, age groups, of 40 and above, because uh, that's when women begin to um, to really complain about some of the symptoms that they would think are related to hormones. But because of my wellness practice, I actually test probably a little bit earlier. And you do, you can find women even in their 20s and 30s who have hormone shifts that um, are startling. Uh, and so what we do in those cases is that we um do offer some things to help support the natural buildup or the natural um, support for the for the ovaries, um, uh such as uh dim and um and things like that, but we also support lifestyles. So in my practice, we do um, we have meditation and mindfulness classes. So I really support mind, body, and spirit because that, you know, that is We have to also take care of those areas to help bolster us up against the things that are coming against us in the community. And that's all people. Um, We've gotten away from that form of health care. When we talk about looking at the actual hormone levels, you know, normally before the age of 40, everybody's hormones are doing are to teetering along fine but at age 40 we all naturally drop our hormone levels but um for people who are under stress of menopause um they actually can see a much starker drop and that's when you become definitely symptomatic because you know i've known women who you know are in their 70s and 80s and they're like i i didn't have hot flashes i didn't have this i didn't have that and what you find really is it really is difference in lifestyle for most people you if you really look at it Even if you start find somebody who's well put together, it's not really about being well put together. It's really how do you manage your lifestyle? Mm -hmm. What stresses do you have on you at that age, that certain age, if you're going still the same, you know, 150 miles an hour you were going when you were 20 or 30, when you're 50 and 60, maybe because of economic reasons, maybe it's because you want to, but, but, but that can have a definite impact on your hormone level. Also, um, disease can have an impact on your hormone level. We definitely found that COVID had a definitely strike impact yeah. on people's um, menopausal, like their shift. They were doing fine. They were coasting and all of a sudden, boom, they fell off the cliff after having a case of COVID. Um, so we definitely know that has an impact specifically when you were talking about fibroids. Um, I personally, I had, um, that was part of my story, my journey into um, menopause and, because I've always been one to kind of seek the most natural treatment for my, not only myself, but for my patients. Um, I had had a, throughout my life, and I later learned a little bit why I had always struggled with my cycle being really long, um, having heavy bleeding cycle, a lot of pain, you know, going through residency in medical school, which is cramping. And even in high school, just so much cramping. And I never quite understood, like, why was I struggling more than anybody else? And then I had my children. And, you know, around those times when you're getting ultrasound, I found out I had fibroids. And I was like, oh, OK, didn't get in the way of having two beautiful children, but the bleeding and all of that really still impacted my lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, and So as things got, I got older into my late 39s, um, 40s, um, early 40s, I was like, I've got to do something about this because it had become ex- extreme. And so I sought out um, some Eastern medicine te- techniques and I sought out an acupuncturist and an herbalist when I lived in Houston, Texas. Um, Dr. Axelrod was his name. And Dr. Axelrod was, um, he was- just fundamental in teaching me about myself and why these things happen. And so that, that expanded my practice even more. So really um, what he talked about from an Eastern medicine standpoint was that um even fibroids are a reflection of stress. Mm-hmm. So they believe in more of the yin and the yang, that balance is so important that we are all missing that, that really, because the body's always going to, it's always going to show you what's going on. Pain mm-hmm. is a gift. Pain lets you know when things are out of whack. Pain, pain lets you know when things are out of balance. And so I tell people all the time, if you haven't pain, don't ignore it. Pain is telling you that something is not going right. So what I learned from my time with him is that the stress that I was holding on to over my lifetime, which had a lot to do with just, even my, my puberty going through childhood, how I was raised, you know, I was raised in a really academic, strict environment. My mother was, um, an amazing academia and she, she played no games and there was no room for any error. And, um, and so I had a lot of stress that I carried with me, you know, into my womanhood. And so we talked about how that had impact, had had an impact on my a bit on my building of fibroids. So you say, well, what does that really have to do with how we talk about fibroids even being uh, more prominent in the African-American community? Well, let's take it back to once again, most women in the African-American community have a very strifeful upbringing. Mm-hmm. And I don't say that in a negative way. We don't look at it that way, but it's part of our journey. Um, you're dealing with racism. I was called, you know, we my parents moved, I lived, grew up in the suburbs. So being a minority, Growing up in the suburbs, I was called all types of names going to school with, you know, Caucasian kids. So I've always had a kind of a a battle going through, but it's our norm. So between what life brings us, what academics bring us, what those things bring us, what our own experiences bring us, he made me understand what fibroids really is accumulation from. So if you underst- if you can wrap your brain around a different theory of how the body works versus just somebody saying, ah, you were born that way. That's just, that's just a coincidence. Not a lot is a coincidence. A lot of what we have is a is a accumulation of what we've been through. And so fibroids are um our hormonal are accumulations of our trauma and the things that we've been through. And yeah. so once I address that. Actually, I was able to stop having pain altogether.
0: I think. I, how did you, I, I, think I also think that um, epigenetics oh, has a lot <laughs> to do with it. I wonder. I'm I'm half Italian and I have dark skin, and I mm-hmm. also had fibroids when I was younger. And I have to wonder if some of it has a genetic component, and some of it has the epigenetic component of I think of the stress of a black woman or any p- woman in poverty or in experiencing. My gra- my grandmother came over from Italy very stressful, looked down upon, you know, Sicilian. And I look down upon, they always talk about that generational um, stress in utero affecting babies, and then passing that on to the next baby. So I think we have to look even bigger, you know, beyond just our daily stresses, but histories of stress, absolutely stress, you
2: know, you've hit the, you've hit the the head on the nail of what we talk about with functional medicine, Mm -hmm. because that is, Key. It right. is generational stress. It in utero stress. Right, it is absolutely transferable. Yep. Trauma is generationally transferable. Yep. And if you even deeper, spiritual stress is like is transferable, mm-hmm. right? So you're exactly right. We are, you know, obviously not the only community that has had to fight and right. to go through, um, you know, the a pathway to get where we are. Right. The difference is the resources that we still now encounter because of it. And that but your point is very, very well made. And that's why women in general, we all have that thread alike that if you are a woman, you have fought some battle pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, because we are still not at the place where de- we, we, we've we made some strides, obviously, but we're still not at the place where we can say that, you know, our lives are what we would hope them to be. Um, because even if you conquer the financial aspect of it, there's still so many other underlying um, uh, parts of our lives, the epi- um, epigenetics parts of our lives that are having an impact on our outcomes.
0: Yeah. And I, I, I always go back to, I think that, you know, women in general, are better at um, understanding other women in other cultures. I I think we, I mean, I know for myself, the way I was raised, I think all of us here have been raised this way. We appreciate rather than look down upon the cultures. I went to a concert last night, my friend took us to, it. it was three women, one from Mozambique, one from India, and one from Brazil. And it was this beautiful night of international singing and voices. And I kept looking at these three women thinking, what brought them together? And they had a shared language of music. And it made me so happy to think that the work that we all do, and I think the work that we and, and this generational Pain that, that exists, it's going to take generations to reverse it. But I think the work we're doing is starting to move us forward.
1: Absolutely. More power to women. Before we leave the subject of fibroids, though, I, I would love to hear how you did address the. I mean, obviously, you worked on the stress at the stress level, but still, this is something deep.
2: This is. And this is really personal to me um, because. It, but it was a it was a gate opener for me um, because I was really taught from a young girl to push through, mm-hmm. to push through, push through. And that was a strength. And I think in the African-American community, that's also a strength that we we really teach. We don't really get a lot of time to stop and cry about a whole lot. And wow. so pushing through or sticking to it. And and from my, you know, from my mother was like, you don't quit anything. You stick to everything that you start. Um but that is not always the most healthy way to handle some things. Some situations are not meant for you to stay. Uh-huh. And um and when you're staying, you are a lot of times doing yourself more harm. And that could be on your job, uh in a relationship, um in a situation, an argument even. You know, you're you're standing your ground, but sometimes standing your ground is the death of you and, you know, the other person. So for me, I was in a relationship that uh, marriage that really was not serving me. Um, and I was doing everything I could to keep it alive. Um, and it really was not helping out, um, my history of trauma. So I literally dissolved the relationship. I dissolved the relationship and had to take a really good look of why I was making the decisions to stay committed in something that was not healthy for me. Ladies, I will tell you, I dissolved the relationship and my pain
0: went, went. away. Mm-hmm. I've heard these stories. Imagine
2: how powerful that was for me. Yep. Imagine how powerful that was for me. That was the beginning of my um, beginning of my work with mind and body and understanding really how powerful um, those things impact each other. And so it took my practice um, and took me as a person to a whole nother level.
0: Mm, Those personal sense. experiences that are, are life-changing, isn't it? Like you, like we talked about before our recording session started, it's these individual um, journeys that cause us to change direction when we're in our practice and become we become much more empathetic listening to our patients talking about the experiences we've gone through. I had a terrible time with um, pain, painful periods when I was growing up. I had horrible PMS. I had miscarriages. I had men- menopausal craziness. So, And Candace had menopausal craziness. So it made us all super aware that when women are talking to us, we don't dismiss them. We say, got it. And I'm going to support you now.
2: Yes. You don't have to agree with someone mm-hmm. to be able to hear them. Mm-hmm. I and I think that's the part that um, is the most therapeutic in any any relationship is the ability to listen yes. and to really listen, not just to let somebody talk and waiting for your turn, but to really listen um, and try to understand whether you agree or not. Try to understand that is the biggest gift you can give anyone, mm-hmm. um, and then you can agree to disagree. Mm-hmm. Agree to disagree, because um, I, I, you know, I think healthy, healthy conversation and communication is the key to a lot of our our struggles that we have. Excuse me. And so I think that, um, you know, we have to be, become better, uh, better listeners. And better, better communicators. We got to learn how to speak and express ourselves even better as well. Because those, when you keep things inside, that causes disease, that causes menopause, as we're talking about, to be worse. You know, people are pushing everything down. And the truth of the matter is that that's not healthy either. To ignore the symptoms, to ignore how you're feeling is not healthy. For other people to ignore it is absolutely not healthy. But for you yourself to ignore it is not healthy as well. And in um, the community um, of color, you know, not just African American, a lot of cultures, women are really kind of taught to kind of keep this to themselves, on the almost mm-hmm. ashamed of what menopause is. Be ashamed of when you're having your period. Like these are things that should be celebrated. This is the only way that life comes to this planet is for a woman to have a period. So why would we something great that we should we should be the most celebrated, you know, th- thing on this earth is the female species.
1: We are the protectorate of the species, for God's sake. Hey, Absolutely. And it's hey. really true
0: when you think about, you know, I think men get nervous because we are the ones. We're <laughs> the
1: ones. And, the know one. and
0: we can't know it. do it without us. Well, that's such an interesting comment that you made, too. It's like, you know, how do we, I don't know, how do we continue to empower women? In your practice, when you have these women coming in, they must be so happy to see you as a woman of color, and they must feel much more comfortable, I would think.
2: Yes. So unfortunately, still in 2023, I still get that statement. Oh my God. It's so good to see. Or I still get, you know, I'm so proud of you. You know, it's such, it's, it's nothing, no better feeling than to have walk into a room and have an elder be like, wow you make me proud and it's shocking because I'm 53 years old I and I'm making someone older than me still proud. Um, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of shocking. And then for young people, I, you know, I love to mentor. And so when I see young um, women out here trying right. to figure out their way, I, 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 you know, quickly volunteer myself. I'm quick to hand a card out to a young woman who doesn't know her way. Like, it's like, I don't know what I want to do. Um, or who knows their way. And I'm like, here, if you ever need me, you know, give me a call because, um, unfortunately, they still there's still not, not a lot of people who look like me out there to to say you got this you know you got this um it's not going to be perfect but you got this and it's going to be it's going to be okay
0: you live, um, I much mean, much more, you live in a much more diverse city than we do i mean portland's pretty white so gotcha yeah. you know i have few different places
2: so i've got i've had some definite so i've only been practicing here since 2019 so i practiced in louisiana a small town in central louisiana called winfield um where i definitely were the the african-american community is definitely was the minority and i was the medical director um uh, the chief medical officer officer of um, of a community health center there
0: um and so that was an experience i bet i I bet so that must have been so challenging a woman and a black woman in louisiana Wow. Yeah,
2: Kudos, kudos to um, the CEO for, um, for hiring me for that, uh, that challenge. And we grew an amazing uh, clinic there and uh, we expanded from uh, two or three spaces to, you know, by, I think four or five by the time that I left across different parishes in Louisiana. Um, so it was really part of the work that we did, did there. Um, and of course, Houston, Texas is definitely much more diverse. Um, so I've had lots of different experiences um, within the community of medicine. And I'm, you know, so proud that I was able to be a part of each one of those, because every time I step into a situation, then it gives people an opportunity to see Black women in action, um, uh, really putting our, our spice on things, putting our education on things, putting our turn on things, and uh, it gets, gets, gets the conversation going um, and gets
0: people's experience being different. And we're talking about know, of color, but about Hispanic women? are Oh, I'm sorry, Candice, go
1: ahead. Oh, sorry. I'm just, we're sort of talking on top of each other. I just wanted to to say that, I mean, this conversation is going deep right from the start. And I, I think that that is totally where we need to go. But I'm also really interested to know on that epigenetic level in terms of, I and mean, we've talked about stress, but about, you know, the... The different factors, the multifactors you see that come together to create hormonal imbalances in your patients in this community, when you're talking about dietary uh, approaches, when you're talking about weight, when you're talking about, um, uh, you know, uh, exercise, what are the, what are those, how do those factors um, play into what you see in terms of your community and that and those imbalances and symptoms that you see that are so much more prevalent. And what and what sort of remedies do you use? You know, because it's we talk about adrenal support, for instance, for stress. It's a, it's a, it's a process. It takes time. And some people are so exhausted and so out of the box. And, and you know, they can barely get themselves out to do some exercise or take a walk or or even swallow a supplement. So where do you begin with with uh, the kinds of patients you're talking about that may have greater levels of crisis and trauma in their lives besides the all important foundational aspect of conversation and communication and listening and compassion?
2: Sure. So yes, um, obviously we always start there is um, making space so that people have feel safe to have those conversations. So we start off with the communication and making a relationship. After that, after I'm able to um, to sit with clients um, for a significant time, as I said, my average visits is about an hour. Um, for an initial functional medicine evaluation I do a 15 minute consultation that's no charge that allows people to kind of come and say this is what's going on with me do you think you can help me so that first gives that first open door after that um, if they're um, in one of our programs we do our initial assessment which is where we do have that conversation and go back historically and find out where they're due what where they've gone through but then we come to the president and say kind of what are you doing right now to take care of yourself And nine times out of 10, um, a lot of things that we do are self-sabotaging via what we either learned to do from our parents or learned or didn't learn to do. Meaning we eat heart disease, diabetes, you know, all these things, even even menopause um, are uh, we, we manage them the way we saw people manage them. So we eat the way our families eat or don't eat the way our families didn't eat. We exercise the way our family did or didn't exercise. So we handle stress the way our families did or didn't. So what are we talking about? Well, if counseling and getting mental health help was not looked upon or frowned upon or called crazy, then you're not gonna do that. You're not gonna look towards those those as solutions. So you just in, you know, keep everything inside or you have outbursts or you drink with things like that. So exercise, if nobody in your family went to the gym, if nobody in your family was riding bicycles, if nobody in your family was doing the treadmill, you know, even doing exercise at home, then guess what? That's foreign to you. That's what other people do. That's not what you do. So that's another issue because we know that obesity and your weight does shift your hormones as well one way or the other. So being overweight or underweight has a shift in hormones and causes issues with hormones. So your diet, obviously very important. So diets that I see are high in fat, high in um, caffeine, high in stimulants, we will find that people will have more symptoms of menopause. So yes, I first want to attack those areas and show them how within their lifestyle, because that's the other thing. Um, health has become so um, uh, you know, expensive for most people or they assume that it's too expensive to eat well. And they assume that it's too expensive to take care of themselves. So I break that all down. I get to the nitty gritty of what their budget looks like, what stu- supermarkets they shop at and give them alternatives that work for them. I let them know, listen, Walmart has organic foods just like... Uh, Whole Foods does. Mm -hmm. You know, Walmart has things in it that you would not imagine. It's just not aisles that you go down, just not shelves that you that you shop on. Listen, Beyond Burger is not the solution to becoming a vegan. You don't have to eat Beyond Burger (laughs) processed stuff. There's true, there's ways in which I am able to even go down to the, like, I make recipes. I look up things. If they tell me cheese is their favorite thing to eat, guess what? I go out and find, give them a recipe or how to make almond almond milk cheese or cashew milk cheese. Like, I'm I go to the core. What it's do you good. like? And whatever you like, let's figure out how to make that work for you. I, I really believe in the theory of meeting people where they are. The other thing is sexual health. Sex is good. Another thing that people really don't want to talk about and talk about how sexual health is, you know, it's just something you do when you're younger. No, having a healthy sexual activity throughout all the stages is absolutely wonderful for your cardiovascular, for your mental health. These are things also that people put aside and say, hey, listen, I don't, I, I just don't do that anymore. They don't do it because they feel like they can't or their body is not willing to anymore. So once we not only balance their hormones, we work with Cleavana and we do uh, stimulation of the nerve and the blood supply to the clitoral area for women. We do erectile dysfunction uh, stimulation, increasing the blood supply and the nerve stimulation to the rect. We bring people back and we're able to do that through sound wave technology. So we give people back their lives by addressing what actually is the problem. What is the deficit in their lives? We do micronutrient testing where I actually will find out what, even though you think you're eating right, you still aren't getting magnesium. You still aren't getting potassium. You still aren't getting um, amino acids. And I can tell you the specific ones they are. And yes, I can give you a supplement for it, but I also can teach you about Brussels sprouts and um, almonds and things that you can do. And you're on a regular basis that actually bring your omega-3 fatty acids up and all these things. And then we actually build a customized plan that's your lifestyle. And so that's how we impact people at the cellular level, at the at the epigenetic level to teach them actually how your environment is either is either making you better or making you
0: worse. Dr. Monica, what kind of um, diagnostic testing do you do for micronutrient testing? What are you using? so we um, we send it to an out, outpatient
2: lab um we send it out of state and we do intrasel- lymphocyte intracellular testing Um, to do the micronutrient testing. We also do ELISA and LRA testing um, when we're looking at like um, uh, metal toxicity or um, immune system sensitivities. So allergy testing and things like this have been really helpful. You know, we can do things like telomere testing to see kind of how you're doing um, with your aging and staging and how how, how you're aging gracefully or not and give people a heads up if they're doing a great job or if they need to kind of step it up a notch. So we do all of those things. Um, I don't want to leave out that, you know, once again, I said mind, body and soul. We also have a, a certified um, a therapist on site that does a mindfulness therapy mm-hmm. as well as meditation therapy and yoga. So we do all of that on site as well. That's amazing. You really have the full meal plan. That's great. I try. I really try to do address, and we still, and we're still growing. We, when we find um, other things that our clientele are needing, and that's why I call it so customized.
0: Then we go and find out how we can
2: can do things that will help in individual issues that come up.
0: That's mm-hmm. wonderful. I- Sounds amazing. I was before. Um, I'm sorry. I was trying to say something when Candice was, but I was. We're talking about women of color, and I'm thinking about. Women of, we're talking about African American women primarily, but there's also the Hispanic population, and they're a different group. I worked with them pretty extensively when I lived in Texas, and yes. they tend to sort of, and it's, it's a generalization, but in general, they tend to defer to the healthcare provider as sort of like the one who knows. And then I've worked with Asian women also who don't ask questions, and they also don't. They also differ and they don't talk about any of these issues at all. You have to, you have to dig it out. So you're seeing women like that. And and what is your comment on that? So um, I think that for me to be an effective um, provider,
2: um, it, and, and, I, and I'm i grateful for all my experiences, as you know, I practiced in Houston, Texas for 13 years. Um, I'm grateful for all of my experiences. That's the only way I learned how to speak my, my little bit of medical Spanish. Um, yeah. Because I want to know that people, I want people to know that I am here to serve everybody. And the only ways you can do that is to really kind of understand the cultures. And so um, having worked in different cultures, I do understand that there's certain dynamics to those cultures. A lot of time, as you said, if you have a, an Asian culture, maybe the um, the uh, the husband will come with them and they're the one who's asking the questions and mm-hmm. they're the ones, you know, kind of, um Uh, giving the translation. So being respectful of his presence is important, but also making her feel empowered um, and not him him being disrespected because she's not coming back to you if he doesn't feel he's been respected. But I also got to know what's going on with her. So my key has always been building that relationship, building that trust bond that I respect your place in this but I really am here for her to serve her. So can you help me translate that to her and let me ask the right questions that allow her answers to come through and also make him even comfortable enough to allow her to maybe speak directly to me. Um, Hispanic um, community, the same thing. Um, when someone puts that much trust into a community and the African-American community has historically been in that same boat, they're doing a little bit more as far as coming out of that and and, and asking for what they want now, which is really great to see. But when someone puts that much trust into the community, such as when the Hispanic community comes to me, then I I find it even more important to make sure they have a voice and that they know that, you know, that, you know, what I just told you all this. Now, what are your questions? What don't you understand? Mm -hmm. Those follow-up questions that I say, because I want you to know that this is a relationship and this is your body at the end of the day. And if this is your body then you get to say yes or no. I give you the recommendations, but these are your choices and you have all the information. Now, what do we want to do together? This is your choice.
1: That's great.
0: That's great. They must feel very empowered.
2: Yeah, I try. I I want people to walk away feeling that. I want people to walk away feeling more confident to take care of themselves.
1: I feel like you're covering all the bases. You're thinking of everything, even down to mixing, you know, the ingredients for their smoothie tomorrow morning. I I mean- Oh, it's so brilliant. You do have to meet people where they are. And I was just curious about um, your use of these, you know, these, some of these um, very esoteric tests that are so important. How do you deal with clients who, who really need that test, but don't have the financial means? And and even with um, hormone uh, replacement, do, do you prescribe hormones and bioidenticals? And how, you know, how does that go down in the community?
2: Great question. I think that that, that was my biggest challenge um, when I um, went back into private practice, especially a cash-based practice. Um, and as I promise you walking away from a community medicine um, mm-hmm. career to go into private practice was, you know, kind of, I had to wrestle with my own, you know, yeah, series of why am I here? Um, but also as a woman, um, as a mother, as a wife now, like I also had to talk about my own health and what I needed because the conventional medicine world was killing me mm-hmm. um, personally, my health, my, my stress level, my quality of life. Um, and so if I were to continue working, I had to I had to do it in a way that worked for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was a big challenge. So in that, how do I still make myself accessible? to the community. So how we do that is I do take um, health savings plans, flexible spending accounts. Um, I work with things like Care Credit, and we've just brought on an app um, where you're able to um, to kind of sign up for all of our different um, programs on this app. And this app actually allows you to use Affirm, that payment plan that people are so familiar with, So it does give access to people who may not have all the money up front and they have ability to slowly pay, you know, minimal based on whatever those those systems say they have to. So it gives people who don't otherwise have, you know, cash on hand for the full amount. um, It gives them the ability to still to use our services. So that's kind of how. I was able to come to terms with, you know, walking away from the Medicaid Medicare, you know, system completely. Now, I do um, for people who have insurance. Um, when we do certain lab works, I will use their insurance sure. to build and build those insurances. Um, but sometimes I'll offer the, the cash discounts that I get through certain labs and I'll pass that cash discount on to them to make it, you know, more reasonable. Because sometimes my, my, my prices are cheaper
0: than what your deductible is, which is crazy to think. And I know where I, I, I did the same thing as you did. I started out with county hospitals and I worked at Parkland and so I went and I went to private practice. So I went through the same emotional trauma that you did. Here I am <laughs> doing working in the trenches versus taking care of people. Who, of more of, of privilege, and you sort of question your ethics on that. I get that. But um, you're still serving the greater population, and you're also making an impact. You're sort of creating that, you know, I'm going to help you, you're going to help that person, and so on. And I wonder if some of these diagnostic tests, I mean, there's the ethicals, the price is so high for so many medications that we prescribe. Many drug companies actually offer scholarships or programs, and I wonder if some of these diagnostic testing labs Offer that as well.
2: It would be- I've not found that they do what you're talking about, like the patient assistance programs, which mm-hmm. I loved mm-hmm. when I was in community medicine. Um, right. A lot of people don't even know that they exist. That the higher the cost of the medicine, the more likelihood that you are going to get, it, you could possibly get it even for free. Exactly. Um, and people did not know about it. And I loved filling out those forms to help patients get that. What I have come into, what I've found with the specialty test um, companies that I use is that they're not as willing to do that as of yet. And I don't know it's because the batches are so small that they don't find a bulk getting a, you know, find that they're able to give that bulk discount at this point. But I will say that they do occasionally have um, discount coupons that we can use that, that help a little bit. Um, but it's still, for most people, it's still a challenge um, for the general population. So what we do is we let people understand too, it's an investment.
0: Exactly. Investment exactly. into
2: yourself. Mm-hmm. You have to realize pay, like you we've been saying all day, pay now or pay later. Exactly now or pay later and the things that I teach unlike what sometimes conventional medicine is I teach you things that you could walk away from me and forever and never see me again.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. i yeah. your book.
2: It's you gift that keeps on giving. The <laughs> gift that keeps on giving. What I know is and I've and I've even been had conversations with seasoned physicians who are saying you are shooting yourself in the foot. Mm-mm. Why are you teaching people how to get off of medicines? You literally are taking out food out of your own mouth. These are seasoned physician
1: mm-hmm. and so I they want you to stay sick they don't want you to get well is that what's No, happening? and I said you know
2: how dare how, how dare us get to the place where we are feeding off the deficiencies Ugh. of other people but it's the truth I mean I couldn't even I couldn't call him a liar because it was the truth but it's sad that that's true and I I just tend to, to find that the I'm going to live on the premise that people are never going to get tired of learning about their bodies Mm-hmm. And how to do better? Because I have people who aren't sick who come to
0: see me. Because guess what? They want to stay well. Yep. Yes. Stay well. What do you? Did you <laughs> ladies happen to catch uh, my husband? And I, I know that I know Candace watched dope sick, but we just watched the series Painkillers. Have you seen that yet? About the OxyContin crisis? I, I mean, we. I lived through it. I mean, you lived through it too, Doctor Monica. I mean, people were being not that most physicians do this, but there was a, a certain percentage of providers that were being incentivized to write. Prescriptions higher and higher in dose of Oxycontin
1: and oh, they yeah.
0: were making more money by doing this. And it's not the same that we're talking about here, but it's it's not dissimilar in that you're yeah. you're going for the money rather than going for the good. And you can do both. You, you can, can do both. both. You can do both. You can do
2: both. I really, um, I really firmly believe that your gifts will make room for you. Mm-hmm. So, um, I do honestly believe that this way of managing patients. I won't even call it this form of medicine because this is the form of medicine. This is the, but this way of managing patients as the, in the next 20 to 30 years, I believe will come into mainstay because people are sick and tired of being sick and tired. Mm -hmm. And I think the system has been found out. Um, And if we stay steadfast for those of us who are doing it in this way, if we stay steadfast, I think that we will, start changing generationally what the expectation is for the community of medicine.
1: The future of medicine is here in your very self, you know. And
0: conflict uh, the West Coast. I mean, it's interesting. I grew up on the East Coast and I have a lot of family there, a lot of friends, but I've lived on the West Coast since 1977. The West wow. Coast is the Mecca of all it's of this. It oh, truly really is. I mean, I talked to family members on the East Coast and I, they ask me. They always ask me medical advice. I'm sure you get this question too. And I give it to them and then, but they always go back to their model of healthcare and they're scared to to experience the acupuncture, the chiropractic care. They've heard all these horror stories about it. And like, I, I agree with you, that's the original medicine, by the way. And I agree Western medicine has certainly honed certain things and created mer- amazing miracles of healthcare. However, go back to basics almost all the time,
2: all the first. time, all the first. time, first, my, my medical, I have a medical degree, I have an MD degree, um, and once again, going back to our original subject, you know, I didn't even know anything about osteopathic medicine, mm. I didn't even know, look look at that, um, and I grew up in Philadelphia, I'm a born and raised Philadelphia girl, and the Philadelphia College for Osteopathic Medicine, I drove past it weekly, my grandmother lived in West Philly, it was on City Line, City Line Avenue, I drove past it, I, I, I know exactly where it is, had no idea what it was and so that once again that that ignorance of communication I went to Philadelphia High School for Girls which is a very prominent school to go to and it was very clear I wanted to go to med school no one ever said to me well have you considered you know osteopathic medicine versus like it wasn't even talked about Mm -hmm. and so we truly are in an era where we have to make this shift where we're really educating the educators educating educators about because there's still I can tell you doctors today who, when I say functional medicine they're like what mm-hmm. what are you talking about mm-hmm. not much not less the you know not much less the general community so um, there's so much there's functional medicine there's you know um, nutrition Integrative medicine. There's so many lifestyle medicine. There's so many different aspects that are, you know, having to be categorized now so that they're accepted and people can, you know, put their wrap their minds around it. But at the end of the day, we're all doing um, this for the same reason, which is to bring things back full circle to the patient being centered Um and we talk about patient-centered homes and all these different little tags that conventional medicine likes to carry now. But the truth of the matter is it's not a patient-centered home if the patient is not the real, real um target and that we're really not emphasizing all of our
0: energy towards getting that patient back to health. And I and I think people don't understand when they like when people come to see me and I would charge a certain amount for certain tests. Women are spending, women of of any means are spending tons of money on Botox, their hair, their nails. I mean, and and that's true in in other cultures as well. Women will prioritize how their hair looks and their nails. And you tell them, okay, you might spend like $500 on these tests and the treatment and the supplements you need, but you are going to get well. You're going to feel amazing. You're going to achieve new heights. It's going to be incredible. And so when you sort of frame it that way, I think people begin to understand that it's, like, it's money well spent
2: money well spent money well spent so um my the name of my practice here in Lawrenceville Georgia which is right right outside of Atlanta is called deep-rooted health and wellness med spa and people you know you put the med spa point people think oh I'm going to get Botox and it's like no we don't quite <laughs> um, so we don't and, and you know no shade to those who do but my goal was you know that beauty from inside out. And we do things like the clitoral um, restoration and the clitoral stimulation, um, the things that are um, not looked at initially as, you know, um, health and wellness, but these are things that truly Cleovana has changed women's lives. I have women who were not dating, who were um, having vaginal dryness, who were having incontinence, who have been revitalized. Um, you asked about, like, what do I do as far as bioidentical hormones? You, being a BioT provider, doing pelleting, um, uh, bioidentical hormone pelleting has changed women's lives, has changed men's lives. Doing erectile func- dysfunction with the same uh, technology as we do the Cleovana has changed people's lives. And these are things that are cosmetic, if you will, but they're really life-changing and life-altering. And if not, when you leave a spa, it's not really what you're wanting, is to really be, you know, rejuvenated and revived. And so that's the kind of thing that I love to do is procedures that help people get their lives
1: back. Let's get to it. Let's get to having some lively fun. Well, it's kind of- you know, like we're the- talking about- Sorry. Yeah. We're talking about- um you know, that there are people that don't even know that there's, they ask you, so what's that functional medicine? What's integrative medicine? You know, there's still so many people out there that don't know about it. And when you think about the problems with access to care that women have in general with doctors not being trained sufficiently, not receiving, you know, any, any, thing in the curriculum there was a study that we talked about in one of our episodes where surveys that have been done where medical residents are saying they're not prepared to deal with women in menopause they haven't had any training Um, you know there's a real dearth of care so how do we improve access to functional medicine and holistic approaches how do we increase the awareness and and I mean I know we keep talking and we keep Doing a good job. But do you I think Kyle had asked this question, are you involved in any organizations aimed at helping to remedy this or what's what's happening in, in your community anyway to improve access and awareness? Well, I
2: wish I had some really good news for you for that. Um, but, but honestly, I right now that it um conventional medical schools are not um right ready for that yet. I'll be nope. honest with you. I did oh, not yeah. I can't tell you. How many hours, if there were an hour that was spent on women's health and specifically menopause and the alternatives? I came up in the error when I came up literally in the error when they were um, telling us specifically every woman when she turned 50 needed to go on um, hormone replacement, specifically Primarin and Primpro, um, just because they turned 50. There was no even conversation. Well, well what about? I remember being in residency and getting into some lively conversations about that and refusing to do it because it was not my cultural experience that every woman that my, my, I knew my great grandmother. I knew my grandmother, neither one of those women. And I was 11 when my great grandmother passed. So I knew her, I was of right, right mind. I, um, had experienced like these tremendous, tumultuous uh, menopausal. So I was like, why does everybody have to do that? And so a lot of my career, I spent really giving people alternatives to that because I was like, that's not, that's not sound that women should just automatically put on hormones. And as we know, the studies then backed up that there was going to be, there was trouble that this caused, you know, issues with cancer and whatnot. Now, what I learned that began me doing bioidentical hormones is that, Bioidentical hormones have been around since the 1940s. So the problem is not hormones. The problem is synthetic hormones. And they never clarified that. that. Never clarified that. And that's a problem. And that's why I'm saying that the medical community, medical schools are not ready yet to really recognize what things like functional medicine, integrative medicine, lifestyle medicine are really about. Because they would have to call out themselves on too many issues.
0: And I Get wonder down. how much of their funding comes from pharmaceutical companies. Oh, absolutely! You know, so there you go. Yeah. You follow and all the money. the money. I mean, you, we Candace and I have done a whole episode on this. We did. There were some studies, and I think it was in the New Yorker that came out how there's a dearth of. Ever since, especially since the Women's Health Initiative came out, that physicians are not being taught about menopause, even because everybody sort of. Tra- I'm amazed to hear that you that you were even taught that because of your age, because the Women's Health Initiative was came out in what 2001, and so basically women people turned away from that, and a lot of people aren't even being trained about hormone replacement oh. therapy. It's terrible, and then as, as a family practice doctor, specifically that you learned even is amazing. Well,
2: so here here it is. That was all self-information okay. because, yes, all all that I was trained on was Primarin and Primpro. Bioidentical hormones was actually part of my own journey of understanding. Mm-hmm. And um, I was actually... Um, Using more mind body con- control when it came to menopausal issues, a Hispanic patient of mine when I was in residency and we were having these conversations was the first person who really really delved me into bioidenticals. And this was years 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 ago. I was a baby doc, and she came in and she was she brought her medicine her her herbs and things with her, and she brought in a, a little container of yam jelly, mm-hmm. and I was like, "What is that about?" And she explained, she got it at the local supermarket. And that's when I started learning about phytoestrogens. And so for years, I prescribed and I would tell patients where to go get yam jelly. So for those people who don't know, yam jelly is a phytoestrogen. People know about soy, but yams have a phytoestrogen and you would rub this yam jelly on Different fatty areas, you would rotate it every day to help with menopausal hot flashes and those symptoms. So I used that along with um, learning meditation techniques to teach them. So I was nowhere near menopause when all this was going on, but this is what I was giving my patients and it was working.
0: So a Hispanic patient of mine taught me that. Uh, and, I had the same experience. Um, I had a patient say to me that she'd heard something about bioidentical horm- hormones on TV. So I actually contact, I looked at the TV program and I found the compounding pharmacist who was on that show. And I reached out to her and I said, I need help. I need, I need help understanding how to help women. And yeah. that it's it's that patient driven desire to learn and listening to our patients. Saying, I, I could do better. I can be doing better right now. Lucy, you know, you got to be listening.
2: To be listening because we, I learn from my patients mm-hmm. just like they learn from me. I'm always listening. What are you doing now? And then, yeah. if it's not working, if it's bad for them, then we have that conversation. But sometimes they have some beautiful things that have yeah. been passed down. There's some cultural things I've learned that I've put into my own family that I, you know, that just by listening, being a good listener. So, fast forward to 20 years, um, still not prescribing hormones. I was asked because of my platform of how I manage medicine was asked to be um, the uh, the hostess for a um, for a program full of, um, uh, ha- I guess, natural OBGYNs who were um, doing a program on hormone replacement. And so a friend of mine who is um, really big in public health had asked me, can you come and just be kind of the host of this program for me? Because I know you'll appreciate it. And you'll have something to add from the wellness standpoint. Um, And I did. Well, I was blown away by the testimonials of these women. And it was an African-American forum who had been doing bioidentical pelleting, bioidentical hormone pelleting. I was blown away. So I started educating myself um, at that point by the bio by by bio who was one of the hosts of that actual format. And by these OBGYN women who had been doing more natural therapies and had been doing bioidentical hormone pelleting. And that is when I myself began to get pelleted and then became a um, a certified provider myself because I was blown away by the life-changing impact that bioidentical hormone pelleting. And I'll tell you why you asked the question about do I prescribe bioidentical hormones in my practice so I do strictly um stick to pelleting and the reason I do is that I have found that the blood um, levels seem to be the most consistent there's no um there's no direct um passage of the hormone itself through the liver so first passage uh, um is is absent and so therefore we find that we have less um damage side effects and we have more consistent levels with pelleting. So that's why I choose to do pelleting as a technique. But bioidentical hormones have been around since the 1940s. It wasn't until the synthetics came around that hormones began to get a really bad name for themselves. And bioidenticals have been consistent and steady throughout this entire entire journey through hormones.
0: And and the thing that we always come back to is that you know, menopause, we lose our we our hormones begin to go away if our thyroid hormone was to get go to go away we would replace it if your right. insulin was to drop because you had diabetes right. we'd replace it menopause mm-hmm. is the same thing and we i i hit menopause at 47 my both my parents lived to be 95 and a half if i had chosen not to go on hormones i'd be half of my life without them and i know i'm 70 and i yeah. feel great and i you know i'm very active and i know and i don't have osteoporosis and i don't have dementia yet you know so it's kind of like <laughs> People, and I'm sure people ask you, people ask Candace, all of us are on hormones and it helps us feel younger, be younger, be, be healthier. And it's that whole lifespan versus health span. Do you want to live to be 95 and be unhealthy and be infirm? Or do you want to live to be 85 or 80 or 90 and be great until the end? You know, I think that's the difference. Quality,
1: quality of and, life. And I, think, and I think really it's a, the point also needs to be made that women, didn't live past menopause, you know, a hundred or so years ago. So many women will ask me, um, well, do I really need to be on them because I'm in menopause? I mean, you know, well, point being, you you are going to live another third of your life. You still got a third of your life to go some probably 30 years, if you make it to 85, 90. And, you know, Kyle's saying her mom, parents, my parents too. Well into their nineties, I'm 75 now, and I've been using bioidenticals for many years. And I don't intend to be um, running on empty because these hormones have a job to do. I think a lot of women don't, you know, think of hormones for relief of symptoms, Mm -hmm. but as we get older, I think the um, what we also have to be aware of is yes, relief, but we're talking about protection hormones that govern the function, the functionality of our heart, our bones, our brain, we need, you know, we can't be without them. Not yeah. really. And not, yeah. you know, collapse into some little pile somewhere in the corner.
0: A little <laughs> pile of bones. I give people
2: this image too, to make people really understand that we're not just kind of blowing smoke. So if you look at the fact that our hormone levels drop at the age of 40, men and women, at what age do we talk about people being at the most risk of breast cancer? I do exactly the same thing. At what age do the we talk thyroid. about people being the most um, you know, risk of prostate cancer, right? Mm-hmm. So why is it that when you have your hormones, you're safer right than you are when you don't? But then people because it was it became an economic issue because of the lawsuits, people started saying, Oh, hormones are bad. No, synthetic hormones mm-hmm. are yes. bad.
1: Yes, get it, people. It's a it's not that
2: it's not that hard of a of a stretch, right? It is at all not a hard stretch to intuitive. Understand.
0: It's intuitive, it's
2: intuitive. But we've been trained mm-hmm. that hormones are bad only because what they were doing didn't work out and they weren't honest enough to say, now, listen, there is an alternative that you can do that was around before this that's been doing just fine. And that's the other part when we talk about the disparity too, there's so many um, cultures and economic um, statures that did not have access to bioidentical hormones. People didn't even know they existed. African-American community absolutely weren't talking about it. For Michelle Obama, Oprah, and people be standing up and talking about it now. And we know, obviously, they had different access. So for the, talking yeah. about that is groundbreaking. And I can't tell you how many women come to me because they're like, I, did you, I, I, I started looking this up because I saw Oprah talking
1: about it. it. Right. That's, Oprah was that's, one of the first. Yeah. yeah I remember her show where she opened the cam, the show open and she's looking at the camera and she says, you could be walking around with a hormone imbalance and not yeah. even know it. And then she started, you know. There you go. The subject. And, was, those,
0: and those are the people who are really influencers in, in great cultures. I also have hope when you were saying there, you don't have a lot of hope. Um, the Cleveland Clinic about I don't know how many years ago, which is a very prestigious clinic now I has see. when you go to the Cleveland Clinic, you get you can get triaged either into what we call historic conventional or Western medicine or more of an alternative medicine um, you know, a philosophy. So that to me says, wow, that's a huge shift in our country. If Absolutely. we see more of those clinics like the Mayo and Sloan Federally begin to do that and begin, and, 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 there's a movement with oncology. Now there's oncologists that now work with naturopaths and acupuncturists, especially here in Oregon. It may not be happening in Atlanta or at least East coast, but it's definitely happening here. People now are getting comprehensive care. So I think that will like you were saying, Dr. Monica, in the next 15, 20 years, we will see a move toward this. There's going to be a lot of pushback, but I think that we will see women and all people being allowed to go make choices. Health, health, the fact that insurance covers naturopaths now and chiropractor and acupuncture is a huge shift in our country.
2: Absolutely. And I That's work with um, a lot quite of a few back. naturopaths. Yeah, I work with quite a few naturopaths that really have been helpful in me developing my practice um, because there's not as, unfortunately, not as many MDs who are on this pathway. And that's what people say, which is a beautiful thing. I I love the fact that you can come to me with a bag full of medicines and I can still help you do this transition versus not being able to touch it. So that's kind of one of the things that, you know, sets me aside a little bit differently. So um, hopefully we will get more, um, you know, medical doctors, DO doctors who, you know, are really Fully throwing themselves into um, practicing in this way so that we can really see a bigger, bigger shift and a bigger change, um, because, you know, like you said, until sh- the only problem is that once we do start getting insurance and things involved in this, then the control factor, because there's I mean, been some conversations that um, they're wanting to take over um, the compounding yeah. of of, um, you know, bioidenticals. Mm-hmm. And now yep. very careful. The only reason that sometimes that wants to happen is because they see money in it. Yep. So when you see money in things, there's also, then they start taking shortcuts. I've seen it time and time again. So we need to be very, very careful about mm-hmm. how quickly this expands and how it expands and who takes control of the expansion.
1: Nice words. We, we, yeah. we, just,
0: had, we just had an episode we're about to release with a compounding pharmacist, well, our favorite compounding pharmacist. We talked about exactly that issue. Very, thank nice. so, yeah. So you're you right, and Dr. Monica. This has been an amazing conversation. We are so happy that you reached out to us to be on our show because this is a, a topic that is is long overdue, like we said. And it and it's not and it, it is women of color. It's women in general, but it, it is it's such a disservice we've done to women of color over the years in medicine in general. And it to have somebody like you at the helm of a clinic that you have in Atlanta, Georgia, that's, that's wow. It's huge. It's it's mind-boggling to think that it's you're
1: inspir- there. you're an inspiration, and and I think that our listeners who we've had a few inspirational people on, but you know, you're I would say you're one of the very few that can really kind of get the tears coming up because it's yeah. you're making waves, you're making a sea change, you're changing the dialogue, and you're brave. I mean, I think it takes guts to move and you forward, get down, and you get down and
0: dirty too. You get down in the kitchen with the girls. I love it. Yeah. And-
1: I do. I do. That's what I love to do. And um, I'm grateful to be
2: on this side of my career. Um, I'm grateful for the journey that that it took to get me here. And I am so grateful that now we're having these conversations. Um, I love the fact that women of all coming from all areas are wanting to have this conversation because, as you said, you know, um, if we don't do it, men are not going to give us permission to do this. We've got to be at the forefront of the conversations. So kudos to you all for for having the podcast. I wish you 40 plus more um, uh, episodes. Keep doing the good work. You guys are doing the good work and the brave work because these are not necessarily always popular conversations. So kudos to you guys. Thank you so much for having me today. This has been a blast. I've enjoyed this.
0: So much. Well, thank you, and do come out to Oregon. We'd love to show you around. I'm coming. Yeah. I haven't been to Oregon before, so I'm coming. I am We're definitely. We love. We'd love to, we'd love to show you
2: off to our friends. Oh gosh, I don't know if I'm a show. I'm a show off,
1: but hey, we'll have a good time. <laughs> you could. You could do a lecture for sure. You need to train oh. other doctors. You need yes. to train the doctors we'll take it well, to some I of our favorite that. places
0: Dr. Monica, thank you so much for being on our show we yeah. just appreciate it and, and wishing you the best moving forward and taking care of all, you. of all if you're ever day. in Atlanta, please come see us. we Will do, alright thank you so much, bye bye Here we are at the end of this WTF Woman Talking Frankly
1: podcast episode. In signing off we want you to remember that what you are feeling is not all in your head and that you have so many options to choose from to get you back
0: to balanced living until next time, be well. And remember, if you want a great life, you need to ask great questions. Be courageous. Ask for what you need.
1: With love, Kyle and Candace.